Hello and welcome to the Essential B2B Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Lead Forensics. I'm your host, Joe DiCaro. In this episode of Essential B2B, I'm chatting with Alan Dibb, author of the One Page Marketing Plan, all about how his journey as an entrepreneur and author started, and also for his overview on the state of marketing today. This is a great chat, and Alan was a fantastic guest. So, without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Essential B2B Podcast with Alan Dibb. Could you just tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be an entrepreneur? I started my entrepreneurial life as a dead broke IT geek. So I struggled with getting clients in the door. I was good at technical stuff, but I just had no idea when it came to marketing. And I really learned through trial and error. And they say necessity is the mother of invention. And I think that was very much my journey into marketing. So I'd struggled like many other people, being a good technician at what I did, but that didn't translate to being a good business owner. That's really where I started my first business. It was a MSP managed, IT managed service provider. And that's where it all started. That was my playground. (laughs) So then the idea for the one page marketing plan, then I suppose that my next question comes in two parts. What inspired you to write that book, the one page marketing plan? And then following on from that, why a one page marketing plan? Yeah, that's a great question. The one-page marketing plan was a process long before it was a book. So it was a so if we were to jump from dead broke IT geek, a few businesses down the track when I'd really learnt marketing, understood it at a deep level, and so I was consulting and helping a lot of other businesses with their marketing process. And one of the things I saw they really struggled with was putting together a plan around their marketing. They were doing a lot of what I call random apps of marketing. Let's try some SEO trick, let's do the new social media network, let's rebrand or do a new website or whatever. And none of these things are bad, but it was, let's just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And that's not an approach that works really well. So one of the first things I wanted them to do as, a, as their advisor, as their consultant, as their mentor, was to get them to create a plan. And so got a lot of pushback, too difficult, don't know where to start, need to hire a consultant, all of that sort of thing. And so I created a, a process for them called the one-page marketing plan, unsurprisingly, where literally in a single page on a one-page marketing plan canvas, we could put together a pretty sophisticated marketing plan in maybe 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour tops really to figure out, you know, who are we selling to? Who's our target market? What's some of the key messages that we're going to really attach to that target market? How are we going to reach them? How are we going to nurture them and do the sales conversion and so on? And so we would be able to talk through that process in a pretty short amount of time and create a plan that was much more practical than most marketing plans. Most marketing plans are very long, take a long time to put together. No one ever looks at them after you have, you've created them. I wanted a plan that you could literally pick up in your office or share with your web developer or share with your team. And most, more importantly, a living plan that you can update when you get better and more information. So let's say we we figured, hey, actually this message resonates better with our audience than the message we thought. We can update the plan with that messaging and again, share it with our team, share it with our vendors, share it with our clients and whoever it needs to know. So I wanted a plan that was like a living document that would actually be used within the business. So that you touched on a couple of points there about saying people often resistant saying we need to hire a consultant, having long-winded mm. plans that aren't necessarily ad- adhered to. Yeah. What other mistakes do you consistently see with marketing and even sales departments? Yeah, the, the most common mistake is 
we've got this product, we've got this service, we've got this widget. Now let's figure out who to sell it to. And that's, you know, and do the telescope the wrong way, perhaps. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think in Silicon Valley, they call it a solution in search of a market, right? So we've got this cool tech, we've got this app, we've got this whatever. Now let's try and figure out who wants it. And it's completely backwards. So what we want to do, we want to find that hungry market that we can reach that's that's potentially a growing market, potentially that's got money that we really solve a big pain problem for them, right? So you can do the same amount of work, but if you do it for one market, they will value it so much more and pay you so much more than another market. Like I recently heard Stephen Bartlett talking about this. He was he started out with social media management. And so he, he was saying he'd identified pre-IPO companies as people who could really benefit from his services because the, a story could swing the valuation of their business by hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of dollars. And so if, even if he took a tiny fraction of that he could charge a fee of millions of dollars versus let's say you t you did the same social media sort of service for a local cafe or local gym or whatever you'd be lucky to squeeze a few hundred or a few thousand dollars a month out of that so different people will value a solution very differently really starting with your market figuring out who are our, our people who are the people that we want to serve that we want to help fix a problem so that's really where we start so we start with with finding our market mark andreason talks about product to market fit so we want to find the market and figure out where are they where have they got a big pain point at the moment that we can help them fix so figuring out your icp and how you can go around to helping them before ahead of anything else then absolutely you're absolutely right to just just to touch on stephen bartlett very quickly he's something of a, a hero of mine he, he did do a little video for us at lead forensics actually and that's it's really helped us out yeah i'm if you're listening steve text in hey steve <laughs> <laughs> we touched slightly there you said it silicon valley and new solutions in search for a problem and that sort of thing this is a question that i ask absolutely everybody i can because i'm fascinated by what people think mm. about this one how do you think ai can be applied to marketing and what does the future of marketing look like for you with the context of ai yeah i think ai like most technologies and I, i'm not downplaying ai but it's there to augment our skills so i think of it this way like iron man he's a normal geeky guy like you or me right <laughs> tony stark puts the iron man suit on and his skills are augmented like he can fly he can do all sorts of stuff and it gives him amazing skills and i think ai is pretty similar just like the internet has given us these extra augmented skills, the way mobile technology, social technology. I think AI will do it at a much bigger scale for sure. So we're going to be, we're going to see one person being able to do stuff that maybe took four or five people before to do really augmenting our skills. But I think, I don't think in our lifetimes, at least we're going to see AI that's just going to take over completely everything i could be fully wrong and i welcome our ai overlords if, if, it comes, <laughs> if it comes to that but i think ai is never going to replace your stories it's never going to replace the way that your experiences your narrative all of those sorts of things so i've been experimenting with chat gpt like many people have and i get it to write an article or whatever and honestly it's very impressive but the output is mediocre right it's not 
the same, like right now I'm writing my second book and it's quite autobiographical in a lot of ways. And even though I'm writing a marketing book, I'm talking about my experiences. I'm mm -hmm. talking about things that happened to me. I'm talking about clients that I've worked with and things like that. And I think it's going to be very difficult for AI to ever completely replace that. Now, having said that, sometimes I'll get it to summarize something and something that would have taken me maybe 30 minutes to summarize is summarized like instantly. And it's still not perfect. It's definitely a time saver and helps augment my skills. Absolutely. And I think one particular industry that I've heard from is the, the translation industry is that effectively it's just taken their work away from them. Do you know what I mean? But mm. As you were saying, what might have taken a team of four people a certain number of days, it's done instantly. But just oh, yeah. sticking to the theme of translation there, obviously the one page marketing plan has been translated into several different languages. And that got me wondering, are there any cultural differences you have to take in cons into consideration when adapting the book or, or are the principles pretty much consistent? Um, no, they're definitely cultural considerations. Having said that, I don't really, me and my team don't really translate. We sell the foreign translation rights to a local publisher and they do the localization and local translation. But I have certainly had feedback. For, for example, the Arabic publishers approached me and he said, I know you've got, the subtitle talks about making money because the subtitles make more money, get more customers, stand out from the crowd. He's going, in Arabic, it's a bit rude to say, hey, make more money or whatever. So can we change up the subtitle there? And I'm like, look, you guys know the local market to do what you need to do. So yeah, for sure, there's definitely different subtleties in different local markets. But for the most part, I believe the publishers have done a pretty good job and I get a lot of feedback from people who've read some of the foreign translations. Fantastic stuff. I like to offer up actionable tips and tricks to, to our listeners of, on the uh, the Essential B2B and the B2B Sales Paper podcast, which is sure. the other podcast I do. Do you have any tips for getting really good results with a limited budget? Because obviously a lot of places' budgets have been slashed in the last few months or so. Have you got any tips mm. for us on that? I do. The tips for a limited budget are similar to tips for a big budget. I think more and more the the hacks, the tricks, the hashtag stuff in keyword, backlink, all of that sort of stuff, I think that's getting a lot more deprioritized by the search engines, which are now faster, better. They're powered by AI, machine learning, all of that sort of thing. A lot of what I'm doing now with my clients is working with them on how can we make marketing part of the product? How can we make it genuinely valuable and genuinely useful to our target market, whether they buy or not? Because I think that the days of interrupting people and spamming people and all of those sorts of things, I think those days are over and it's getting harder and you get less and less returns. Really, how can we find our ideal target market and be genuinely useful and genuinely helpful to them? Because that's whether you're working with a budget of zero or a budget of millions of dollars, that's really stuff that's really going to get traction a lot more than if we're like, how do we bypass the spam filter and make sure that we can get into their inbox and how do we game SEO and do weird backlink tricks and all of that sort of stuff. How the people who are winning are the people who are being genuinely helpful and useful to their target market. I think that's the message that is consistently comes over with the more of these podcasts and more the webinars that I do for Lee Forensic is that is the key message is it's the people buying from people element that really yeah. it's fundamental to all the processes there. Yeah, it's funny. I get emails from readers every single day and some people are like, hey, I can see how your stuff would work with B2B, but does it work with B2C? And then conversely, a lot of people say, oh, I can see how it would work with B2C, <laughs> but 
will that stuff work with B2B? You know, my buyer's a little bit more sophisticated and my reply is the same to both. Is look, whether we're working with the janitor or with the CEO, it's H to H, it's human to human. Mm. And so we're all an emotional bag floating on this rock and then and we respond emotionally to to messages regardless of whether it's b2b or b2c it's really h to h human to human and so we want to make those emotional connections and, you know people feel like hey if i'm selling b2b does the mo- hey if i'm selling b2b does the emotional stuff really work well a great example is back in the day no one ever got fired for buying ibm right how much how many millions or maybe billions of dollars of gear did IBM sell because of that? And that's really an emotional message, right? That's, am I going to get fired? Am I going to look stupid to my boss if I don't buy IBM and the things go tits up or whatever? And those are messages that really resonate in B2B. Will I look dumb to my boss? How do I get that promotion? What's going to make me look good to the board or whatever else? So those are things that are emotional messages and they don't need to be overtly said but they can certainly be part of the subtext of the messaging a hundred percent and if we can just stick with that sort of the theme of marketing evoking emotions from people do you have an example of a marketing campaign or an ad campaign even that's had the biggest impact on society or culture in say the last 10 years or so and what are the emotions that it evoked that made it successful do you think there have been tons and in different markets there are different ones but ones that come to mind, hey, like from a B2B space, like the FedEx one, if it ha- has to positively be there overnight or whatever, again, that that feels like it's just about utility, about getting your package there quick, but no, it's really about, hey, you've got this last minute thing or you're gonna look dumb or you're gonna lose that deal if you don't get it get it there overnight, right? That That's a pretty simple example. Mm-hmm. The classic Domino's pizza, it's there in 30 minutes or less where it's free and so, there, there are lots of such examples. IBM one that I mentioned, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. So tons of messages that have really resonated very well with the, their audiences. And so I don't think about which one has had the biggest overall impact because the our market is not everyone. I want to have the biggest impact within the market that of my people, right? So that's who I really care about. Who are your people? And then how can we have the biggest positive impact on them? Yeah, I maintain that the best sort of ad campaign that FedEx ever had was the uh, early 2000s Tom Hanks film Castaway, because the whole point of him trying to get <laughs> off the island is so he can deliver yes. the last package. <laughs> yeah, true. That was a good one. <laughs> Adam, what, was the name, what was the name of the football uh, that he had? Uh, I, I think you'll find, Alan, it was a volleyball and it was called Wilson. <laughs> That's right, Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Alan, what does success look like to you and... When did you feel like you've made it? Do you feel like you haven't quite made it yet? Are you approaching it? What what does success look like to you? Look, I never feel like I've made it. I live an amazing life by any measure, but I think it's an entrepreneur thing. I think you, you're always like, you hit that goal and then you smell the roses for five seconds and then what's next? And I know that's probably not a healthy way to live. I think being more chill more in the moment more present enjoying the present moment is it's probably a more healthy way to live but i don't know i don't know any other way to me success feels a lot like moving towards my next biggest goal my next biggest achievement my next thing but i acknowledge that's probably unhealthy (laughs) so if someone has a better answer for me and i'm sure they do then i'm all ears but uh, i haven't found it yet
So let's stick with that. As you say, smelling the roses for five seconds then. How do you decompress from your work? Do you indeed decompress from your work? How important is that work-life balance to you? Totally. Look, I'm far more balanced than I ever was. I, I remember very little in my 20s. It was just work and pretty similar in my 30s. But probably three years, three, four years ago, I really started to change things. I started to exercising and start, started putting things on my schedule and treating it like a client. Like my, I exercise, do weightlifting three times a week. I treat it like a client. Like I wouldn't just not show up for a client meeting, right? So I treat my nutrition, I treat my exercise, I treat my sleep with the same kind of respect that I would treat a client meeting, right? So I wouldn't just, I might reschedule a client meeting if there was some big emergency, something terrible had happened or whatever, and I really needed my urgent attention. But other than that, we're keeping those appointments. So I'm a lot more balanced now than I ever have been. But yeah, it's still probably doesn't feel like there's a lot of downtime. I spend time exercising. I spend time to myself. But yeah, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, that's a struggle. Yeah, it's definitely something that I hear from entrepreneurs a lot is that there is a sort of a blurring of that line, if you like, where you, your typical working mind, you go, right, that's it, five o'clock, I'm off, going to go and yeah. chill or whatever, 100%. I think that's a quite a common characteristic. Yeah. What aspects of your industry do you love, Alan? Is there anything you'd change about it? Yeah, and I'm writing about this in my new book as well. But stuff that I love is, as marketers, we get to make change in the world and tell amazing stories and affect the culture and things like that. Things that I don't like, like any tool. Let's say we, we take a knife or a hammer, right? We can use that tool for good or we can use that tool for bad purposes, right? I can harm someone with a knife or I can cook them a wonderful meal. And similarly, marketing is a tool and a very powerful tool. And some have used it badly and created a lot of uh, bad reputation, bad vibes in the marketplace around marketers. Marketing is almost a dirty word in a lot of areas and because of that, but also as marketers, we're, we're storytellers. We're here to tell people a story and take them through, through from a worse place to a better place, from a worse condition to a better condition. So that's really what we want to do. And that's when marketing is done well. So that, just keep, staying with the idea of reputation then just for a minute, what's, mm. what are the biggest misconceptions between the relationship between marketing and sales departments, do you think? So there's always, it's always fascinated me. There's this sort of divide. The sales department says, oh, the leads are crap and the marketing department are like, hey, you guys can't close. And really, I see them as the revenue department together. There should be really no divide. And all good marketing is just sales at scale. It's really sales in a one-to-many scenario. So sales is usually on a one-to-one -one basis. Hey, Joe, I'm coming together here to help you solve a problem. Marketing is the exact same thing, but it's on a one-to-many scale. So ideally, the most ideal selling environment is you and I in the same room and we're solving a problem for you, but that's hard to scale. So really the way we scale that is through advertising, through email marketing, through all of those sorts of things. And But I never want to let go of the fact that what we're doing is really sales at scale. So having said that, a good marketer needs to be a good salesperson you're it's really copywriting is essentially sales in print or sales on a computer screen or wherever it is so to be a good marketer you've got to be a good salesperson to start with 
It's a really interesting way of thinking about it, actually. The difference is just scale, almost. That's something that hopefully resonates with the, with our listeners, for sure. Yeah. What, Alan, would you consider... This could be personal or, indeed, professional. What do you consider <clears throat> to be your greatest achievement? <laughs> My greatest achievement? I think, r- really, just day-to-day, the working with clients just to help change their life, like literally change their lives. I've got a friend who's a chiropractor and, he, and said, what are you up to today? He goes, ah, oh, just saving lives. And and I think, I think similarly, really, when I think about some of the conversations and some of the transformations I've had with entrepreneurs, it's just been literally life-changing where someone who was maybe struggling either personally or professionally and took them to a better place. I think at the end of the day, we're going to look back on our lives and our careers and see who did we positively impact? Who did we help? Who did we help take to a better place? And that's really part of what I want to do. And I want to do that, you know, firstly for myself, then for my family, then for my community, then for my employees, and of course for my clients, and then an even wider sort of impact creator. So how can we, so we start with ourselves, start with our immediate circle, and then we see how can we expand that impact. And I'm privileged every single day just to get really cool fan mail and messages from people who've read the book or seen me on a podcast or seen me speak or whatever and had some kind of transformational event or transformational thought and a lot of times hearing those testimonials is really powerful i imagine that's quite motivating when you get a little i am doing so good it is it is it absolutely is <laughs> alan this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation i've really appreciated the chance to get to know you a little bit better over the course of our of our chat here if there was one top tip you would like to leave my audience with today, following our conversation, what is the one golden rule you think they should take away from this? Yeah, the thing I'd leave people with is, look, the best marketer wins every time. And so nobody knows how good your product or service is until they buy. They only know how good your marketing is. And so it's incumbent on you to become a really good marketer because no one's ever going to know. Like people... People, so many times they they complain or commiserate or whatever. Look, I've got a better product than this other guy, and he's doing better than me. And I've been in, I've been there, I've felt that, and I've seen that so many times. The marketplace is not a meritocracy. I wish it was. I wish firefighters and nurses got paid the most, but we know they don't. So you don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. And so, really, as marketers, what we what we're out there doing is really negotiating and just doing marketing that really it's with people because the best marketer wins every time so it's not the best product it's the best known product and that's really what we're out there to do alan dib thank you so much for joining me for the essential b2b podcast joe it's my pleasure well there you go alan dib on the essential b2b podcast wasn't that great i really really enjoyed that episode Thanks again to Alan for joining me for this conversation and thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Essential B2B podcast and give us a five-star rating where possible. We'll be back next week with another excellent episode of the Essential B2B podcast.